says Wallace, I'm loving Bootsy and Chris Finlayson KC on the panel. Let's see if they get the power ballad around the panel. Chris, oh, you first. Do you know who this is? Oh, Chris? No. He, he, I don't know got, who this left is the building. <laughs> Chris? No, I just uh, I imagine that uh, uh, the correct answer would be given by my co-panellist. Oh, we're both. Very disappointed. <laughs> sorry, Chris. Sorry. sorry. All right. So Again, anyway, I'm 40. Let's turn it up a little. Here we go. One of my favourite songs. Let's do it. How can we be lovers? It's a question that Michael Bolton is asking in this power battle. There's no communication. It's a no-win situation. If we can't be friends first, how can we be lovers? He never got the answer, nonetheless. But it's a on a more serious note. It's a good thought, though, isn't it, Bootsy? You have to be friends first in a relationship. Yes, and I I was friends first with my Kiwi partner, and. It works, and all I know about Michael Bolton is his hair. I don't know a single song, so I love okay. this Fridays because I learn a new song every time. <laughs> yeah, whether it's good for your soul or not. Anyway, as an aside, uh, Michael Bolton, this is interesting, he collaborated with Lady Gaga before her career took off uh, on his 2009 song, Murder My Heart, because Lady Gaga uh, was, by all accounts, a huge fan of Michael Bolton. There you go, a little bit of a factoid for Friday afternoon on your Power Battle Friday. 2525, the panel, RNZ National. Okay, so here we go. Um, a huge response, can I just say, to the snapshot poll. Unscientific, nonetheless. Would you support GST off food, fruit and vegetables maybe, baby products, milk and cheese perhaps? Uh, Te Pāti Māori are calling for this. As Chris says, it comes up every couple of years. So here are the results. said no, I would not support it. And 47% said yes, I would support GST of fruit and veg. So very close, isn't it? Yeah, it's close, I think, because people are wondering, will it really make a difference? Yeah, precisely, yeah. It is 24 to 5. The the economic rationalists are still (laughs) in the lead, and that's a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Now, two recent tenancy tribunal rulings that allowed pets in rental has sparked fear among some landlords it could set a precedent. One of the rulings included a tenant who was allowed to keep her pet guinea pig despite her rental agreement stating otherwise. The New Zealand Property Investors Foundation is seeking legal advice to make sure that no pet clauses remain Valid. It's quite a surprise ruling, actually, with us uh, on the other side. We have President of Renters United, Geordie Rogers. Kia ora, Geordie. Kia ora, thanks for having me. Were you surprised by this ruling? It certainly does seem like there has been a slight change in the way that the tribunal has been adjudicating these causes. Um, and I think certainly if this does go to the point where it's going to be tested in the district court, it will be interesting to see what precedent is set for, for cases across Aotearoa. I just assumed that when you see a no pet clause, it's an automatic, that's automatic. It's basically there are no pets and you just cannot have them. But this ruling, it kind of seems otherwise. Yeah, so there is an overarching rule in the RTA that a landlord is unable to contract a tenant out of their rights. And the specific way that that is phrased is that they can't, Um, include things in a tenancy agreement that might otherwise um, make a tenant do something that wasn't the intention of the Act. And so while the Act is silent on 
whether a sort of provision can or cannot be included. It seems that adjudicators in this case are, are taking the the um, position that because it doesn't explicitly say that landlords are allowed to prohibit pets, um, then that would be a breach of the RTA by contracting out of it. It seems to me fairly, I'm going to panel first, but it seems to be quite significant to this ruling. Is, is this going to lead to um, a run on tenants trying it on, trying to actually get their little pet in or their axolotl or a, a couple of guinea pigs there, Geordie, you know, a little bit of animal company? Um, I guess I wouldn't see it as being a run on it. Um, I think, by and large, renters still feel like they don't have the power to have a, re- a, a sort of animal in their rental property. Many rental properties um, sort of aren't fit for them as well. Um, I think... In sort of the, the broad scheme of it, though, what it does show is there is a shift towards um, believing that renters have the right to live in the home uh, that they are paying money for and that landlords don't necessarily have the right to stipulate every single minor detail over how renters live their life. And so Not if you're going to have a big dog ruining, uh, the, ruining the freshly painted walls. Yeah, and so the great thing about that is that damage done by that dog is already covered by the RTA. Um, it, when you return a property at the end of your tenancy, it has to be in a reasonable condition. It can't have a large amount of damage done to it. And so that damage is already covered. Okay, Bubsy. Um Well, what I like about this story is that renters' rights are being advocated for and that there is these conversations about how many times they visit or what the rights of tenants are. What I have a it's scary for me because I've been attacked by a dog and I'm allergic to cats. So when it comes okay. to pets, I'll just say it out there. It's very tricky for me. Um, but I do appreciate that there's conversations out there. But I can imagine as if I were to rent looking for a house, I need to know if there's been a cat there. Or even when I do Airbnbs, I check for pets um, just for that reason. But I do like how there's these conversations happening about tenants' rights and that they're adjusting and they're changing with time. So you feel that... Uh you feel that tenants should be able to, if they want, have the option of... I think if it says no pets, there might be the landlord that maybe um, intends to move back and can't have a cat. So it would be scary if someone could add pets into the mix if it said no pets. Stay there, Geordie. Let's bring Chris Finlayson in. Yeah, well, you know, I'm a lawyer, so you'd expect a legalistic answer, but you won't get one because um, I just think it's a question of reasonableness. If someone wants a moggy, well, big deal, but if someone wants a pet pig uh, or a guinea pig, for God's sake, I, I'd um, uh, say something about it. It's so it's just a question of landlords and tenants being reasonable one toward the other, not taking advantage of one another. Mm. Um, and if if people got away from uh, legalism and a rigid application of the law to sort of thinking about the other person and acting reasonably, uh, we wouldn't have many cases going to the tenancy okay. tribunal. Yeah, Common okay. sense, Geordie? Yeah, and I, I think that raises a good point as well, is that these cases that adjudicators have been putting forward does specifically mention that they are taking into account the reasonableness of the nature of it. Um, mm. The provision around contracting out does explicitly say that you can contract out when it's a reasonable expectation. And so in these cases that we have seen, they've both been very reasonable pets. And so I think you could conclude that the adjudicator was making that judgment call there and uh, adjudicators would continue to make that judgment call. 
A lot of response. Uh, My mate got totally screwed finding a new Mm. flat after the flood that would allow him a partner's dog. Had two people suggest he put the dog down. (gasps) Yeah. It's actually, Geordie, it's quite... This no pet clause. I'd be interested to know what, how they find it. Do, the, do it in other countries because it seems to be uh, there are a lot of people in Aotearoa who do love their animals, their cats, their dogs, their little fishes, and yet you're not allowed to have one in a rental. Is, do you think this is the end for the no pet clause? Um, I guess more broadly, what it speaks to is the sort of characterization that we have of houses in New Zealand compared to other countries, especially when they're being rented out, the sort of expectation of landlords when they rent out a home or a house, actually, uh, is that it's still their home. They have an emotional connection to it and they still need to look after it. But in other countries, we see rental properties as more of a business where someone else has that home. And so I think this perhaps is one of those sort of positions where we can have that perspective shift and say actually this person is renting this out as their home and so they should be able to live and have decisions that any other person in a home would have uh, as long as they're restoring it back to the original state when they return it. Okay, um, Geordie. Yep. Well, I hope there aren't too many moggies and rentals in Western Wellington because they've just released a whole number of kiwis into the bush and we don't want these... Uh, these rental cats wreaking havoc in Western Wellington. Thank you. So do you think we should ring-fence uh, that Wellington area, Geordie, and have a no-pet clause for that particular <laughs> part of Wellington? No Your pet. thoughts? I don't think uh, sort of our, we have a particular policy on it. I'm definitely a part of like well, I think you should get indoor cats. Um, I think yeah, having cats indoors is, is great for our native wildlife. But All right, you're, you're yeah. not an expert on that. Right, you, you can go now, Geordie. Thank you. <laughs> Thank very you very good. much. Uh, that's um, yeah, Geordie Rogers from Renters United. Pets and rentals. Now, nah, what it is, the major- is the majority of rentals are managed rentals, and most mm. rental managers recommend to rental owners not to allow pets. Uh, I had a pet pig in my flat in protest due to my window falling out. <laughs> I like that. I boarded up my window myself, and we were on the south coast in Wellington. They were good times. It's um, not because you had a fetish about Muldoon. No, no. Um, uh, yes, uh, Mr. Finlayson is on a Friday. The power battle should be banned from RNZ concert, says Brian. Uh, yeah, very good. What does uh, he want think... to ban? No. <laughs> Me. I, I like learning ballads there every you Friday. Go. There you go. <laughs> it's 15 away from five. The panel RNZ National. A McDonald's job ad has been pulled following accusations of ageism. The offending post was for overnight shift workers and included the term 16 to 60 in the job listing. McDonald's blamed a franchisee for posting the age limit, but an Auckland store manager said head office made the decision. With us is employment law specialist and associate at Black Door Law, Serena Kazvian Murasan. Serena, welcome. Are you there, nice Serena? Yes, can you hear me? Loud and clear. That term, 16 to 60, must admit, I haven't heard that uh, for a while, if ever. What did you make of that? Yeah, it's, it's a bit of an interesting one, and it's, uh, you know, it gives a really defined and clear age range. Um, there's been a lot of backlash on it, rightly so, because we have some laws uh, under the Human Rights Act, Bill of Rights Act, which prevent... Um, people being treated differently on one of the grounds of discrimination. One of them is age. Is it legal to do this? Is it legal, rather? 
yeah. So, um, as I was saying, the Human Rights Act has uh, quite strict um, obligations around when you're allowed to treat people differently. So, um, that's not you're not allowed to discriminate when people are applying for jobs while they're working or when a decision is made to end their employment. But there are a small set of exceptions when it comes to age. Boosie, 16 to 60. My first thinking was, gosh, you know, in this day and age, 60 is not old. Then I also thought there might be some very heavy duties that might be part of the roster at McDonald's. Uh, I don't know what they might be. The, 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 the snow operating the snow freeze machine is not a, one of those, perhaps. But there might be something that uh, um, the older worker might not be okay with. What's I your think thoughts? they were okay with if you in the news. It said that it was for the night shift. So can I? I can imagine the mistake was made because they just said night was too hard for anything younger, anything older. But what an air from a huge corporate to be so ageist at all. And you see it as terribly ageist? Uh, I see it as a problem at the beginning because it's something in an interview you could kind of know you weren't hiring for someone that might be tired past 7 p.m. However, you would never put that in print. It's like a bad tweet. <laughs> oh, yep. Okay, stay there, Serena. Let's bring Chris in. Well, putting aside the legalities, I'm over 60 and I'm honoured that I have been excluded because under (laughs) no circumstances would I want to peddle that inedible crap to anyone. Um, Personal opinion there. Um, Serena, I'm uh, au fait with the odd filio fish. I'm sure that you are too, Boopsie. That's Chris's opinion there. Just can't stand uh, McDonald's. Um, Is this indicative, do you think, Serena, of that wider issue of ageism. And when we, whenever we talk about this on the panel, we do get quite a response that actually, you know what, ageism is alive and well in our New Zealand communities. Yeah, I think that we we have an ageing population and it is important to to for our workplaces to be as diverse and inclusive as possible and that includes reflecting what our society looks like. So while they've um, put out this ad, I think we need to look behind it and say, you know, what are their hiring processes like? What are they doing to right. remove bias within the pre-employment screening process? And as a huge corporate, right, they have so much sway. So if they show that they're open and hiring all diverse types and making a change, then they can look good. But in this instance, they have the opposite effect where they're saying, oh, there's no work ethic here from people or they can't cope and they're making an assumption. Or should a um, over 60-year-old be able to work the overnight shift at McDonald's? It's an issue of safety as well, isn't it? Uh, I think to let them decide. Let them decide as much as a woman working late at night or making a woman not do clothes Um, maybe I can work it out if I need the money and I'm willing to work I can arrange myself accordingly okay so finally Serena then what about the lower age range of 16 Uh, if 60 is an issue what about 16 yeah I think the same argument applies here actually Um, you know we're tending to focus on that upper age bracket but the same would apply the only thing I would say is that um the minimum wage is lower for um, workers 16 and under, so that is um, a, sort of a form of discrimination, you could argue, but that is... But legally, I have a legal question. If they're under 16 and it's a night shift, is that legal to hire under, like kids that are supposed to be in school who need sleep? Is that a legal option to hire them for those late shifts? Just out of curiosity. 
Yeah, so there are parameters around hiring school-aged children and, and when they could work. Mm-hmm. And it also comes back to the point you made earlier about um, the safety of the workers, when they're working, um, what role they're doing, what tasks they need to perform, if they're being supervised and so on. So is there a, an hour that a kid's meant to not work past if they're of school age? Just if you, if anyone knew the law, I'd be curious just to know. Yeah, there's no no set hours on that, but you'd you'd be um, taking into account their um, their ability to rest and not be fatigued. Mm. Yeah, so nice, lovely to have you on, Serena Kiora. Thank you for your time today on the panel. That's Serena Kasvian Murasan, an employment law specialist and associate at Black Door Law. And regarding Chris Finlayson's comments that he wouldn't um, work, uh, the fact that he is over sixty, he still wouldn't work at McDonald's. Um, for all the McDonald's in the world, um, someone says, Chris is over 60, isn't he? He'd be too slow taking my orders anyway. Um, probably right, actually. Which I, no, I dispute that. I'm sure you'd be a very fast, you know, and that's no Actually, the coffee can be quite good. If I'm heading out to golf and I have to have coffee because I don't have a coffee machine at home, uh, then I have, I must confess, great revelation of the afternoon, whipped into McDonald's and Silverstream, bought a flat white. Just a little McCafe. Mm. At the McCafe. It's nine away from five. The panel RNZ National. Um, Yeah, big response regarding renting. When renting a decade ago, we were burgled five times in one year. My landlord refused to put any security measures, so we put on window stays ourselves. And when we went to leave, the landlord tried to claim damages to the windows for the stays. They then took us to the tenancy tribunal to try to get the money out of us, which the adjudicator disagreed with but for the next 10 years I had trouble getting into records due to my record oh that's a bit of a sad uh, text there but thank you so much for listening to us this afternoon finally on the program it is Mother's Day on Sunday and what better way is there to tell her you care with a box of chocolates and some cleaning products Well, that is what Pack and Save Potadua thought when they advertised a prize giveaway, including air fresheners, laundry soap, and some scent boosters. Oh, and a box of roses. Corey Ross, the employee behind the giveaway, told the New Zealand Herald that the criticism was ridiculous. But Foodstuffs, which owns Pack and Save, they've apologised. Dr. Joanna Schmidt is senior lecturer for the University of Waikato's Sociology and Social Policy Program. Uh, Dr. Schmidt, welcome. Hi there, how are you, Wallace? I'm very well, and thank you so much today for being with us. Okay, looking no at this, is this a really harmless giveaway? Basically, Corey is just trying to do a bit, he's trying to do something nice, or yep. is this sexism? Look, I, I see. I can see that it feels like a bit of a storm in a teacup. It's a few bottles of laundry liquid and some air freshener, um, and you know, it's it's t- times are tight, and we're all happy to get anything really for free. Um, but I think if the supermarket was wanting to give away products like this, it would be better to do it not associated with Mother's Day. I think it. Um, it, every everything like this that just seems so little still reinforces the idea that women are responsible for the housework, responsible for looking after families, and on the one day of the year where we're meant to be spoiled and maybe not have to run around after other people, um, you know, is laundry liquid really re- what we want to be given? It's 
So I would say I would say yes. I would say it's perpetuating gender stereotypes. I don't think it's veering into the ground of misogyny, which is what some commenters on the initial post said. But I think it's um, definitely perpetuating gender stereotypes in a way that's not particularly beneficial for women and for mothers in particular. Boopsie. Well, I guess as a mother and in defence, partially to Corey, I feel like this is an instance where maybe a female should have created the prize package, and it wouldn't have been. S- laundry liquid, but it might have still been floral? Because if you look at the post, I feel like he kind of just went for whatever items at the shop had flowers on it. And (laughs) if you look right, and I was like, maybe he didn't want the laundry liquid because I could see free is free, right? But I hate flowers. So I, I, but I still would take the gift and I would want them to do giveaways again and just have a female create the package and move forward but it is again it's similar to the mcdonald's thing where what are you, what are you saying here you're saying that it's not it's, it's you'd still take it box I'd still, i think i think i wouldn't get mad at them i would just say you're in a position where you can everyone's looking up to you as a business you can do two prize packages and maybe have it more neutrally but i think the person just was trying to get flowers i'm not too upset all right <laughs> look stay there joanna we've got chris finlayson yep. here chris of course. Well, poor old cory was trying to do something nice get, gets kicked in the guts look the best way of dealing with it is to offer exactly the same takeaway parcel for father's day um, and, <laughs> yeah. and look um, as a cleanliness obsessionist uh, i would love a present like that. I wouldn't want the Rose's chocolates because they probably would attract GST. But uh, the the other uh, products I would absolutely love because I love cleaning. It's, just, well, it's a very odd obsession I have. It's one of a number of obsessions I have. But cleanliness, <laughs> as they say, is next to godliness, even in a secular, a secular society. And and uh, so I think that it's a remarkably decent gift. What of that, Joanna? Because someone says, here, put it to a pharmacy. They give away Viagra for Father's Day. And I'm not saying that's, uh, I'm not just, I'm not commenting on that. But for example, for Father's Day, if if they wanted to, if Mitre 10 wanted to sort of acknowledge that with some sort of, uh, I don't know, power tool or leaf blower, would that be the same gendering? Um, yes and no. I mean, it's it's still less than ideal. Um, although you know, it's a hardware shop. What else are they going to give away? Um, but it's. Um, I think. I think the the in terms of domestic labour, I think the stereotypical roles for women are far far more limiting, and they're really about um, about us about women. I'm speaking for women here, which is always dangerous, but um, <laughs> it's it's about women being expected to care for other people rather than just in, sort of engage in maintenance of the house. You know, they're too, they're too slightly, and I know they look like they're the same thing, but the idea of doing washing for other people, for example, is about, is about I engaging in care for other people. Yes, yeah, and I'm not saying that we don't do it for ourselves. I'm I mean, happiest I look alone, when I've got my patch out. Yeah, I think it's but the same... Is, it's just Joanna first and then Bobsy. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. <laughs> but let's remember it's a mother's it's a Mother's Day thing. So what they're doing is giving this to people who are mothers and there's a lot of expectations attached to that role around looking after other people, caring for the household, caring for children, caring for your partner. That um, that doesn't come uh, that doesn't come along with being a father in quite the same way. So oh, that's sort of why I find this problematic as being a Mother's oh. Day present. In addition, it was marketed as a pamper pack. You can't see my expression, but yeah, (laughs) I I wonder why they didn't give a bottle of champagne or rosé, right? Like, I wonder if there's laws against alcohol, and that couldn't be part of the pamper package. 
But I, well, you I, can't assume everybody drinks. That's always a problem. That's true but, too. You know, some cheese, some cheese and crackers, some nice cheese and crackers. That's a good. You know? yeah, I mean, obviously not flowers. But it might but go off. So I feel flowers, yeah. this <laughs> is hard. this is more um, complicated than I thought, Doctor Schmidt. But certainly very interesting. Thank you for the insights. That's um, Joanna Schmidt, a lecturer at the University of Wakato Sociology and uh, Policy Program. It's been a wonderful panel to both of you. We disagreed, we agreed, we laughed, and come again. Chris Finlayson, Bipsy Moraine, thank you. A big thanks to Charlie Dreaver, my producer. Going out with Michael Bolton, see you at 3.45 Monday. Lisa Owen and Checkpointers News.